Good morning. Welcome to First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. We are delighted that you have joined us for this time of worship. We also would like to invite you to our drive-in worship service. It is a come-as-you-are, stay-in-the-car kind of service in the parking lot of the Uptown Ministry Center on, at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Please join us. We'd love to make you feel right at home. We greet you today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us now begin our service of worship. Will you join me in reading responsibly our call to worship? In the gathering of school supplies, in the harvesting of backyard gardens, God blesses us beyond imagination. In the simple acts of daily chores, in the kindness shared by a stranger, God is gracious to us. In the rapture of a child watching a firefly, in the appreciative look of a senior looking at family photos, God's face shines upon us. We praise you, O oh God. We praise you.
unite our hearts and voices in our opening prayer. Welcoming God, you gather everyone, especially the outsiders, to worship you, for you are not an image or an idol, but protector of the helpless, parent to the poor, friend of the lonely. Accepting Christ, there is not any place you will not go to bring God's grace to others. In you, the enemy is made a friend, the broken are made whole, the orphan finds a home. Embracing spirit, your gentleness falls upon us and our fears of rejection disappear. Your truth is whispered in our ears and our arms embrace strangers. Your peace is poured into our souls and we are reconciled to all we hurt. Your love throws open our shuttered hearts and we see our sisters and brothers all around us. God in community, holy and one, in you we have life and hope forever. Amen. Good morning. For my children's time today, I brought a Band-Aid. When I was a little girl, I used to love Band-Aids. I loved band-aids so much. Whether I had a cut or a sore, it didn't matter. I still loved band-aids. In fact, my mother used to try to get me to cooperate with her by promising me band-aids. If I did what I was supposed to do or cooperated with her in some way, she would promise me a band-aid or two. I don't know why I liked sticking them on me so much when there was not a thing wrong with me, but I did. I thought they were awesome. Um, we need band-aids sometimes. Um, sometimes now, I have two cats and they scratch me sometimes by mistake. They don't mean to, but uh, sometimes they get off my lap a little too quickly because something scares them or, or, um, or I don't know, just inadvertently they scratch me sometimes. So sometimes I need band-aids. Um, sometimes we fall down and we need band-aids. Band-aids can be really, really handy. But I wanted to talk about a time when Sunday school was just starting in one of my churches that I served um, a few years back. And the Sunday school teacher did something really interesting. She, at the beginning of the Sunday school year, sat the children down and said, we are going to come up with the rules for our classroom. And the children were the ones who, was, who were supposed to decide what the rules were going to be. And one of the children said something that I think is such a great thing. I think it should be a rule for everybody, a rule for children and a rule for grown-ups too. Um, the child said uh, one of the rules in their Sunday school classroom should be no hurting anybody else on their outside or on their inside. Now, band-aids are really good for when people get hurt on the outside. But what hurts people on the inside? Some things I can think of are being left out, like everybody's playing together but one person gets left out, or maybe being called names, or maybe being uh, told things that aren't nice. Um, but I thought it was a really good rule. Don't hurt anybody on their outside or on their inside. The thing is, we never really know what's going on with people. And we can never go wrong if we choose to be kind. Um, if you have read the book, uh, 
the, um, the book Mr. Brown's Precepts. It was a companion book to, um, to another book, but one, the first precept was when you have a choice, when you have a choice between being right or being kind, be kind. Uh, Jesus always chose kindness. Jesus was always trying to be with people who had been treated very badly. And instead of treating them badly because everybody else did, Jesus was always exceptionally kind to them. And Jesus, as his followers, we want to do what Jesus did. So, as you start school, as you interact with your friends and your family and your neighbors, Remember, don't hurt anybody on the outside or on the inside. Be kind. Will you pray with me? Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 45th chapter of Genesis, beginning with the first verse. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me! So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the 21st verse. 
Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her for away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Today's Old Testament lesson is the second of two lectionary readings about Joseph. Last week's lesson from Genesis, the 37th chapter, told us the story of Joseph's many-colored coat, many-colored coat. And this week's lesson from the 45th chapter is the text where Joseph is reunited with his brothers. But two lectionary readings hardly covers it all. The Joseph story actually continues until the end of the book of Genesis. So here's the whole story in a nutshell. Joseph is a very annoying brother, a situation his brothers try to remedy permanently by throwing him into a pit one day and leaving him for dead. He had gotten on the very last nerve of every single one of them too many times. What would happen is that Joseph would have these dreams every night and recount them the next morning at breakfast. And even though they knew that that was how every morning was going to start, they didn't like having to hear about yet another dream in which Joseph was the stage presence while his brothers were the stage hands groveling at his feet. Also, his father Jacob, himself a product of a less than wonderful sibling relationship, favored Joseph, bestowing that coat of many colors, that coat with long sleeves, as some translations say, bestowed that upon him to signify this favoritism. And that was just more than these brothers could take. So after tossing him into a pit, his brothers decide to tell their father that Joseph had unfortunately been in a fatal tangle with a fierce wild beast, producing a garment covered in blood as proof. Granted, it was goat's blood, but Jacob didn't have a CSI team. And the brothers, they didn't worry too much about the lie they'd told because by the time they were actually saying it out loud to Jacob, they assumed it had either come true or something like it had. What the brothers didn't know was that Joseph had been rescued from the pit by some traveling salesmen who happened by and who in turn sell him to some other traveling salesmen. Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, purchased by an army man named Potiphar. Joseph ends up in jail shortly after, falsely accused of sexual harassment by Potiphar's wife. Joseph continues with his dream interpretation in jail, and Pharaoh eventually hears of his gift and summons Joseph to interpret some of the wilder dreams he's been having lately. And Joseph manages to do this very well, and 
in fact, so well that he enables Pharaoh to take some actions which protect his bottom line. And Pharaoh is so happy about that that Joseph manages to go from jail to a cabinet post as Secretary of Agriculture. Anyway, years later, Joseph's brothers turn up in Egypt as well, and it's because they're starving. It turns out there's a famine back home. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because he's older now and he's wearing a fancy uniform and he's speaking Egyptian. Joseph has some fun at their expense, but eventually he reveals who he is. And they all fall into the arms of one another and they weep. The family reunion eventually also includes his father Jacob, and it is a reunion unmarred by Jacob's eventual death. It's quite a story. A protagonist who is betrayed, who is captured, enslaved, seduced, imprisoned, released, and empowered. And there's a wonderful ending. Joseph's identity is revealed, he forgives his brothers, and he is restored to his family. But if faith is about the grit of life, how does this grand story of Joseph resemble our lives as we know them? How is it a story about faith? What does it teach us about God? What would it teach us if the ending had been different? What if Joseph had never assumed a cabinet post? What if Joseph, like so many others who are betrayed or victims of violence, lived and died unrecognized, unnoticed, and unknown? What would the story with that ending say about God and faith? Well, part of me wants to think about that hypothetical ending because Joseph's story sounds so sweet. For most of us, everything doesn't always come out so perfectly rosy at the end. Usually our endings are more frayed at the edges, more gray than rosy. Our loved one dies and never comes back. We lose our job and never again know the same vocational fulfillment or financial security. We suffer violence at the hand of another and never know the same sense of emotional security again. We go to war and we come back as a different person, but more personally and devastatingly aware of life's losses and cruelties. If we put a dark gray ending on the Joseph story, what would that tell us about God and faith? Well, actually, I don't think it would change the message of this text at all. The underlying message of this story would still point to the hidden, life-giving power of God at work, even in the most difficult of situations. It would still be a story about God with us. It would still be a story about God working to preserve life. It would still be a story of faith in the midst of danger or power. The point of this story doesn't really depend upon how the story ends. It isn't outcome driven. Most often, that is not how this story is understood. It's usually understood as having the message that with God on your side, bad turns into good. But that seems like a naive reading of this text. So what if the story of Joseph is not a story cheerleading us to just trust in God and know that all will be well? What if the story of Joseph is not a story about a God who will rescue us in times of trouble? What if the underlying claim of the story is this? God is with you no matter what. 
But what if, knowing that, you still wonder, well, so what? What difference does that make? And the answer the story suggests is that it makes no difference at all, circumstantially, and it makes all the difference in the world and beyond. When Joseph found himself in prison, the narrator of the story reassures the reader four times, the Lord was with Joseph. And again, so what? After all, Joseph was still stuck in jail for two more years. Is it really supposed to be a comfort that the Lord was with Joseph? What would have been more of a comfort would have been Joseph getting sprung from jail. But that is the message. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord is with you right now. No matter what is happening in your life, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, God is with you. But again, the question, so what? Does that change anything? In Joseph's life and in our lives, even if God is with us until the end of the age, it doesn't seem to make life any easier. After all, where was God when Joseph's brothers lowered him into that pit? What God is an abiding God when a caravan hauled Joseph off into slavery, or when he was disgraced, betrayed, and unjustly thrown into prison? I mean, if a biographer had sat and interviewed Joseph in his Egyptian prison cell, I doubt if Joseph would have talked a lot about the nearness of God or having an overwhelming sense of God's saving grace. He might have had some choice words for his brothers, or raged about his seduction, or spoken bitterly of his life as a slave. The sweetness of God's protection might not have been the first thing out of his mouth. And it usually isn't from any of our mouths when we find ourselves in the hospital, or in a car accident, or in debt, or when we watch the news, or read the paper, or when we get a phone call from a troubled friend. But the story of Joseph insists that God is with us, with all of us, and that God's promise of life may be working long before we know what is happening. And we are sure that even the most difficult and cruel events have the potential to lead us to deeper springs of living water. We are taught to struggle to believe that God does not will hardship on us, but that God is with us through our hardship. God's purposes, like a seed, can grow in the dark as well as the light, under rain as well as the sun. Now, Joseph might have had moments where he wondered whether that mattered, but he didn't live by those questions. He lived with the trust that God is the foundation upon which everything rests. Whatever happens, God abides. And this trust didn't change anything circumstantially, and yet it changed everything. I mean, Joseph suffered like we all do, but the trust he had in God allowed him to walk out of jail after two years with a clear head and interpret Pharaoh's troubling, troubling dreams. It allowed Joseph, after an unspeakably terrible betrayal by his brothers, to say to them through tears of relief and joy, I am Joseph, your brother. God abides and Joseph abided with God. We may wish our faith would protect us from suffering. We may wish our faithfulness somehow ensured the blessings of the world. But the story teaches us something else. From Joseph, we learn that faith gives us the power to forgive and the power to preserve life. It gives Joseph the power to 
live into a new narrative, not that of a victim, but as one who is loved by God in a way that enables him to redeem his personal identity, to live into another narrative, one that is more than just the sum of the parts of his history, a creative narrative that, that frees his future from the bondage to his past. The God who is presented in the Joseph story is the God we recognize at work throughout scripture and in and through our own lives, a God who seeks to preserve life, a God who delivers us from oppression, a God who brings us from the darkness into the light, who shows us <clears throat> the way from death to life. What difference does it make to believe in this God being with us? Well, no difference at all in what happens to us and all the difference in the world to who we are when it does. The God who liberates Joseph liberates us, enabling us to live open, unafraid, trusting, forgiving, joyful lives. The story of Joseph isn't climactic because of his success in agribusiness. The story of Joseph is climactic because of his trust in a God who abides and moves as hidden power to transform and redeem and resurrect. This hidden God is with us all, a presence that is less plot-driven and more relationship-driven. If we trust in God's restoring power, maybe nothing will change circumstantially, but then again, everything might change because we will be changed. Thanks be to God. Amen. Something good alone.
you join me in affirming your faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. pandemic, the church is not closed, it is deployed, 
And so go now in peace to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you always. Amen. Oh.